I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Coming up on this week's episode, I do a proper review of Nothing Launcher for Android. I replay Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 for Android and tie it into the Clone Wars Battle of Ontaron. And I finally watched Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. A. D. N. It's headphones nailed! What's up guys and welcome back to another episode of Headphones Neil Reviews. I'm your host as always, Headphones Neil, bringing you a very exciting review, our set of reviews. One, the initial Android review is going to be a basic, um, just follow-up review based on an official installation, but the rest of the reviews are pretty filled with my thoughts on those items. So to start it off with my follow-up review, um, Basically, my thoughts on no, Nothing Launcher are unchanged because last week I saw that it had been released to the Google Play Store as for as a installable launcher on my OnePlus 9 Pro, and so I decided to give it a shot. It's also because I saw that they had a um, update that they have a how-to guide when set, um, setting up the launcher, so setting it as a default launcher, um, quick notes on how to use it. Um, you start off with a couple of widgets, notably the weather widget, which does require permissions. And essentially that's it. You're done in maybe less than a minute or two. Um, so when you're using the launcher, you'll see none of the additional bells and whistles that you would get in other launchers. So from my experience, one of the things that stands out compared to the OnePlus launcher is in the OnePlus launcher, you get a whole bunch of options for icon layouts and grid sizes, whereas in the Nothing launcher, you get two grid size options, 4x5 and 5x5. In the OnePlus launcher, you get those two options, but you get as small of a grid as 3x5 all the way up to, I think, 5x6, and then you can set you know custom shapes and um, size options and all of that in the OnePlus launcher. In the Nothing launcher, you essentially just install the icon pack, apply it, and you're done. So you don't have to be bogged down with various options, what they do. You can essentially just set it and forget it. Um, so my recommendation would be that if you're using a device that 
has an outdated layout at this point if they're not supporting icon packs that would be strange but if you want to use icon packs but you don't want any of the extra options or you let's say you don't even use all the extra options so for example in third-party launchers like Novo launchers if you Novo launcher if you don't use the multiple dock options you don't really care about the grid layout sizes or gestures or anything like that then nothing launcher presents you a very simple and straightforward uh, launcher for you to use. The menu options are not bogged down with extra stuff at the moment. So when you're using it, it is very simple, straightforward, lightweight. It feels very snappy. So definitely a launcher to try out. For me, the only thing that's really missing is of course one gesture option and that's the double tape, double tap to lock the screen. So um, that would be an option that I wouldn't mind just as a general option and no other gestures. Because they already offer swiping down to open your notifications and swiping up to open your app drawer. So double tapping to lock would be a would be an option that I would definitely want in the launcher. Just because it's easier to double tap my screen and lock, lock it than have to reach up to the power button constantly to lock and unlock or at least just lock the device because double tapping to unlock on the OnePlus 9 Pro still works. So hopefully at some point they integrate that or maybe they're going to leave that as a reason to get the nothing phone that if you want that option you have to have their official device but for me in general that's not a reason not to use it so if i was to give it a rating i'll stick with the google play version and say i would give the launcher four out of five stars it works it's easy to use it's snappy and it's generally just a launcher out of the box that you don't have to necessarily mess with um, the only thing that's really kind of weird about it at the moment is shortcuts on the home screen. So in using um, pop-up widgets to create a couple of shortcuts, um, the icons don't necessarily fit well with the icons that are there. So it kind of makes the icons smaller to fit into the circles. And if you have a custom icon pack, it does it recognizes the icon, but still tries to fit it with the default circle icons. So I'm not sure if that's part of the beta process or that's intentional and on purpose. So I'm holding off a judgment on that just because it's early and I don't know. Maybe it's something that they're going to ultimately offer or fix or uh, yeah, for me I feel like it's probably just something that they need to fix. So I'm going to hold off judging the launcher based on that. but. For me, as of right now, it's a good launcher. Um, the one less star that I'm giving is just to see what the final product is. Um, because it is a beta product, for me, it could go in either direction. It, once it comes out of beta and it becomes a solid launcher as it is, then I can definitely say it would be five out of five stars. But it ultimately depends for me on what they're gonna do with the launcher. If they start bogging it down with too many options, or things that are not necessarily necessary and make it not a minimalist launcher, then that would definitely warrant taking away stars. So for me, as of right now, it's a good launcher. I definitely recommend trying it out. Um, like I said, it's uh, lightweight, it's snappy, it's easy to use. It's not bogged down by a whole bunch of unnecessary options and navigation issues and like trying to find where different settings are. You essentially just long press on your home screen, you can access the set general settings, wallpaper options, and widgets, and you don't have to poke around in a bunch of different places to find what you need. 
um, you can set those options, they're easy to find and you're good to go. So that's all there is for this particular Android review. So with that, we'll jump into this week's Star Wars segment. Alright, so for this week's Star Wars segment, it's actually going to be a two-fold process in which I start with Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 for Android, the old video game that was, I guess, received with mixed reviews. And I'm going to transition from that into uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars story arc and how it relates to Obi-Wan Kenobi just as a final review before we have the start of the Kenobi show on Disney Plus next week. So with that being said, I since I had just replayed Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 1 and I built a really strong character model on the light side, um, which is the canon version of Darth Revan, I thought I would replay Knights of the Old Republic 2 um, much in the same way and in as similar a story arc as possible because I was doing some reading and I guess the Mitra Surik character is supposed to be essentially the female version of Revan and because she was a trusted general in his army and a very high ranking general as well that's kind of where I got the idea that as well that I would play her in the same way but also play the game in the same or a similar planet order as the first game Granted, there's not the same, all the same planets are not there, but I thought if I played them in the same order, I could see if that improves the gameplay, story, and overall enjoyment of the game. Um, I'm going to try and leave the whole thing with missing planets and story arcs and things like that out of this review as much as possible. Just because in this case, I think that the story on its own in this form is a better complete story. Um, the missing stuff is becomes or then becomes more of a kind of wish list of what I was kind of what it would make the story more complete. But that's neither here nor there. So as far as the planet order goes, because you have to start with Paragus and Telos, that's essentially the terrace of the second game. So you're still starting there. You're starting as a Jedi, so you skip the whole. Um, Jedi training part at the beginning of Dantooine. So you're kind of skipping all of that and going jumping straight into the story when you get to the Dant uh, get to Dantooine and more on that in a second. But essentially with Paragus and Telos or Telos being um, Terrace in the second game, you're essentially learning about your character. You know something's up. A lot of what the current state of affairs is a mystery. And for some reason, Jedi are extinct, hiding. This Kraya lady is mysterious. Um, along the lines of Bastila not being as cryptic, but because she's arrogant, you know that something's up and something weird is going on. Um, Karth in the first game and his statement of saying that the Force can do terrible things to a mind. Um, so all in all, you're starting the game in much the same way. Um, from here, if you now normally if you read reviews online, they always tell you to start with Narshada and make Atten a Jedi. But I've historically found that, or also to get you know HK forty seven parts and start building your lightsaber. But I've generally found that that's pretty inconsistent as far as the lightsaber and HK forty seven parts. It's really hard to make Atten a Jedi. So it's always bothered me that doing Narshada first is always recommended. So for me, I'm actually changing it up and doing Dantooine first, just like the first game, because once you get to this, and especially if you're playing as a female, 
that once you get to the Jedi Enclave and the Salvager camp and all that, by the time you're done with that and then you meet with the Jedi Master, you've now found all the parts to build your first lightsaber on the first planet that you visit, just like you do on in, on Dantooine in the first game. So I I'm actually going to recommend going to Dantooine first in Knights of the Old Republic 2, just so you can get all of that. Also by doing this, if you're playing the light side and you've done all the right um, conversation part pieces to get influence with of course, first Beodur, because by the time you get to Dantooine, you have him. And then I'm also adding the Disciple to your party quest. As soon as you leave the Jedi Enclave, you can get through all those story, or, or you can get through enough conversation pieces to get influence with them, and then also convert them to Jedi right off the bat. So once you continue playing the game now, you're going to make them super strong Jedi, especially the Disciple. Abeodur is okay as a Jedi. Um, his level up points are not as much as a Disciple, so he's not going to be quite as strong. Ultimately, he does have a lot of Force powers, but I would... But you are... By um, converting the Disciple to a Jedi on Dantooine's very early in the game, he's not necessarily going to be an equal level to... Um, um, Mitra Surik, your player, but you are going to, um, he is going to be really strong. He's going to have a lot of force power, so he does become a good second in command as far as general force powers. Uh, Beodur, I want to say is third up just because, or he's not necessarily the same as far as Jedi force powers go as a disciple, but he's uh, better than a disciple as far as um, computers and technology and equipment goes. So as far as fighting, I would say go with the Disciple. As far as technology, go with Beodur. So you have a really strong, well-balanced party. As far as your main character, Amitra Surik, you're stronger than the Disciple in the Force, and then you're approximately equal with Beodur, so you're kind of a combination of the two when you're playing the game. So um, that's kind of where I went with that. Um, after you finish with the whole Dantooine story quest, I recommend going to Duxin, the moon um, orbiting Ondron, because it's kind of the Kashyyyk of the game. Um, and the Mandalorians are essentially the Wookiees because they're strong fighters, they're all about their clan, and you're helping settle a family dispute. So the transition and similarities between the two are very, very similar. So. Um, that's why I did that next. Um, the uh, the default thing after Duxin is to go to um, Onderon first, just because um, that's where you have to go first after Duxin and, um, and finishing up all the different quests and things like that. Um, when you do Onderon and then um, and get as far as a day completing a Dagon Gantt story arc, you're going to end up going to Narshada for all of that stuff. But the Onderon Narshada quests are essentially the Manon of the story of um, KOTOR 2. Um, mostly because it's a lot of running around, going back and forth, which is what happens in Manon. But then also the Dagon Gen story arc is essentially um, the KOTOR 2 equivalent of the Sunry Trial in KOTOR 1. But a little bit easier, I want to say, to resolve and um, solve as far as the light side goes. I say a little bit because it's still annoying to do all the running around, but essentially that's the comparison there. Um, one tip I do want to recommend while playing the game and going to Narshada, 
is that by the by this point, by the time you get to Andron and Narshada, you're gonna have um, Mandalore in your party. So one of the things I don't remember ever doing in the past was um, recruiting the Mandalorians that are in the Narshada docks and the Mandalorians on Dantooine to your to the Mandalore or to Mandalore's cause on Duxin. So I recommend taking Mandalore with you to the docks and talking to those Mandalorians that are hiding out there to um, convince them to join his cause and as far as rebuilding his or the Mandalorian Empire. Um, whenever you get the chance and because these are just random side stories and not integral to the overall plot, at some point when you have a chance to go back to um, Dantooine, I recommend going back there because the Mandalorians there are still hanging out so you can talk to them about um, joining the cause. Um, apparently there was some sort of quest as well about recovering parts and stuff that will allow you to have their leader join as well and not attack you. Um, I didn't do that so the leader attacked but then by defeating him the rest of the group ended up joining so ultimately it was a net win by having them join up but I just thought that was a nifty little side quest to be able to complete. Um, by the time you're done here, um, the equivalent plan to go to next, of course, is Korriban, because now you're, all your characters are strong enough to um, go around the Sith, um, or there's not much in the Valley of the Sith Lords, there's a couple of beasts to fight, but um, once you get to the Sith Academy, essentially you're just going there to uh, find the Jedi Master. You navigate the student um, quarters, the sleeping quarters, and some of the testing areas and stuff like that. You learn that the Jedi Master has been killed, and ultimately you run into Darth Sion again. Uh, the first time is, of course, on when you're leaving Paragus and Kraya loses her hand. Um, this is essentially, essentially just to involve, heighten the dramatic event that he's still after you. But the key piece here is by doing Korriban last, when you go to the Shirak Caves, you'll be leveled up, leveled up enough to be able to defend yourself when you go through all the various dream sequences through your past and meeting up with Darth Malak and um, fighting them and then also fighting the um, Kreia and her Force Dreams and all of that stuff. So, And also ultimately Darth Revan and all that. So that's why I still do Korriban last. Um, once you finish with Korriban and you're getting ready to leave, um, you do ha still have to do the um, Hiding Jedi quest. You ultimately meet up with the Ravager, which is KOTOR 2's version of the Leviathan. Um, and Malachor 5 ultimately becomes the um, second game's equivalent of the Starforge. Um, so basically from here, the ending story is kind of mapping what happens in KOTOR 1, where you go on the Ravager, um, which is a Leviathan, you're escaping, you're finishing up any side quests. So before you go to Malachor, you do need to make sure you finish up all the side quests like um, the Mandalorian stuff. Um, if you need to upgrade um, any of your equipment, then definitely do that. Um, you can still have a chance to do that in the Atreus Academy if you want. But also by this time you should have everyone upgraded, but it's, but I recommend doing that before the Ravager because mostly just because I took on the Ravager you do have to take Mandalore and um, Visas Mar, um, so by having the equipment upgraded it makes it a little bit easier to ultimately upgrade 
the characters. Um, I didn't really spend too much time talking to Visasmar this time. I don't because you're essentially going to have to fight Darth uh, Nihilus anyways. So her backstory doesn't really affect that much. Um, you can talk to her to make it easier, but if you're going light side, ultimately you're going to save her. If you're going dark side, then ultimately you're going to kill her. So um, either way, the options are pretty straightforward. There's not too much going on there. Um, so that's really all there is about that. Um, so overall, my impressions in playing the game this time around was that I now realize this time that in the game, the hiding Jedi are essentially the star maps of the second game because you're finding the Jedi to figure out why they're hiding, what the state of the galaxy is, and get them together to try and mount a defense, which they ultimately don't want to do because they realize that the Sith will kill themselves off without any without their intervention and they're not because there's no jedi and no force users they're not going to be able to um eat on the feed off of living beings so by involving yourself anyways you don't have to you're going to cause more troubles than it's worth um which is what leads them leads you to your character to either get the force enlightenment power or the force crush power um I found Force Crush to be okay of a power. I like Force Enlightenment better because it uses three of your Force powers and boosts them to the max. So I think it was Force Run, Force Valor, and Force Immunity or Force... There's basically three powers, but essentially you're boosting your defense stats and running to be able to activate those quickly. So instead of having to do three separate powers, you can boost them to the max. Um, I did like in this game to that they added the ability to get the battle meditation which essentially augments your own powers and decreases the abilities of your, your whoever you're fighting so if you're playing the light side I definitely recommend um, using force alignment and then force or um, the battle meditation and you get definitely getting the highest level of all everything of those two the powers that are related because it makes it the fights go that much faster. Um, in my case, I did dual wheel lightsaber, so I did. Um, f I use the flurry attack line to for the fighting, so it makes the fights go that much faster. Um, and then if you're various stats like um, toughness and um, do two up and fighting and things like that are boosted, it helps. Uh, leveling up your lightsabers and powering those up definitely helps. So. I found that much like the first game, by boosting everything to the max and not trying to have every other power, that it makes the game that much easy, better and easier and then also allows, or you have fewer deaths to worry about. I mean, you do get drained every so often, but because your party is still alive, you don't have to redo stuff. Um, in in this case, this, as far as the Sith lords go, um, I want to say Darth's Nihilus was kind of along the lines of a, um, or I guess they were all kind of along the lines of a Kalonor, Darth Bandin, and Malak. Um, there's no equivalent as far as which one is which. Um, I, but I would say probably the closest equivalent is probably Darth Sion is Malak, just because um, Sion has the ability to regenerate his health, whereas Malak was using the Starforge. Um, Darth Bandin was, um, I want to say is probably um, Darth Nihilus just because he's overcom they're both overconfident they have in their abilities they they feel overpowered but they're not really and then Kreia is kind of the Kalo Nord 
because she fights from a distance. She's more of a ranged character, especially at the end with the three lightsabers. She's staying in the center but sending her lightsabers to attack you. Like Kalo Nord uses his weapons to shoot at you from a distance. So kind of that's kind of the mimicry you get here. So for me, this particular gameplay gave me a new respect for the game just because I realized that I think I've been playing the game wrong. So um, I definitely get, recommend giving it another shot. So granted, it does feel like there was maybe one less planet um, in the game just because Onderon and Narsha or because they did take out the droid planet. But when you're playing the game, you don't really feel like there's anything missing. You do have like the HK-47s taking you out early on when you go visit Atris. Um, but when you're when you're uh when you get to Narshada on the smuggler's moon and you see the hk um hk um uh, newer models of the hks there you you do real or it leads me or at least led me to think that okay if you're a manufacturer and you made the hk 47 that you are of course going to make newer models you're going to upgrade them you're going to change make variations of them and variations in the programming so of course, HK-47 might be the original model or the 47th model, so when you have the HK-50s and other subsequent models, of course they're going to have newer models and more autonomous models and upgraded software and AI algorithms and things like that. So having the Droid Planet, while it might have been cut because of a rushed release, it didn't feel like they like having it would have made that big of a difference especially at the end where supposedly in the restored content mod the um, hk-47 comes to save Beodur's droid from goto so in general i thought the game was fine um i didn't have too much of an issue with glitches in storylines or anything like that so in general for me Part of me said I did enjoy the game initially, but much like the first game, I think I was kind of playing the game wrong just because I wasn't necessarily upgrading all my armor and weapons and stats as much as I could have. Um, I know initially I was always doing auto level up, but um, spending the time the past couple of years to actually learn the benefits of upgrading all the characters myself, the characters become that much stronger by leveling them up and by talking to them and upgrading everyone to Jedi, especially um, the Disciple and Beodur, it makes the games that much better. Um, and then when I get when you get to Narshada at the end of the game, or playing Narshada later, while it is still harder to make Atten a Jedi, it does go that much smoother because um, if you've continuously been getting influence with him, it's very straightforward. And then by adding Mira and having the um, awareness and abilities, um, talking abilities um, with her, it's easy to stay on the planet, talk to her about becoming a Jedi, going to the ship, and then going back out to the refugee landing zone. Um, you can convert her to a Jedi, um, but also because you're converting her and Atenez into Jedis very late in the game, you don't get to upgrade them and level them up as Jedi as much as you would the Disciple and Beodur. So, granted, that's why I have gone went with Beodur and the Disciple a lot more. But um, for me, 
that is okay just because uh, Mira and Atten, they ha while they have their benefits, like Mira can run through mines, and I think Atten doesn't die if you always have a party member that's alive. Their powers or their abilities are not as much, not as useful as um, Beodur's um, technology abilities, and then the disciples' resilience. So that's why I recommend getting them more and going in this particular planet's route. So that's all there is for that. So the reason I wanted to play the or I did replay the game, the reason I wanted to review it before my Clone Wars review is because when you get to the Andron level and there is going to be an uprising against Queen Talia's brother uh, Vaklu and uh, wanting to stay with the Republic and wanting to stay free away from the Sith and all of that, this was very um, interestingly presented in the Clone Wars in um, later, I think it was in season five, there was a four episode um, story arc where it's the Battle of Onderon. Um Ultimately, there's the Death Watch have sided with uh, the Separatists to take over the government and get Queen, Queen Talia kicked out of the um, out of the, the crown. So it, it's a four-episode arc in season five, so episodes two through five, where um, Ahsoka is ultimately left on the planet to help them out, but also stay away as much as she can. And this is kind of reminiscent with what um, Obi-Wan has to do with Luke on Tatooine, where he has to oversee and watch, but also stay out of it, which proves to be really difficult. So the parallels there were are very um, similar. So Obi-Wan can talk about um, keeping a pr his distance and keeping his presence away and all of that. But because um, it's hard to do and be like they say in the trailer for Kenobi that a Jedi can't help being a Jedi. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but because of all that, that's one of those reasons why it always looks like it's hard for Obi-Wan to stay away and why he wants to protect and ultimately train Luke and all of that. So if you want to have an interactive version of the Onderon story arc, then Knights of the Old Republic 2 is the way to go. Much like um, in Knights of the Old Republic 1 with the crate Dragon and the Pearl and fighting with the Tuscans was presented well in The Mandalorian. Um, I think it was the episode titled The Marshal uh, with uh, um, what's his name from Justified. So um, the Battle of Onderon story arc in Season 5 of The Clone Wars is a good animated version and summary of the fight from for the... Um, people of Onderon and then having the Jedi come in to help. Um, the Mandalorians are kind of... The Mandalorians and Knights of the Old Republic can kind of be considered Death Watch, but not really just because they have the armor and they're trying to rebuild the Empire, but they're not really as far... They don't really go as far as Death Watch goes, um, even though they want to try and rebuild it. So, But that's also outside of the scope of the game, so... That's, that's neither here nor there. The Battle of Onderon is a good example, in my opinion, of how hard it is for Ahsoka, or one example of how hard it is for Ahsoka to stay away from the fight, but also want to help and have to figure out how she can help without revealing that she's a Jedi. So that's all there is for that. Um, otherwise, I got to thinking, though, that when I finished Knights of the Old Republic 2 and I was listening to Kreia talk about the future of the 
Republic and the Sith and how the Sith are not the real Sith because the Sith Empire is out in the unknown regions. The Republic will ultimately fall. Uh, Mandalore or the Mandalorians will ultimately um, fall apart and their legacy will live on but without the actual people which was kind of a foreshadowing to the Empire under Palpatine and the whole thing with Jango and the clones so all of that was good and I got to thinking with the ship or with Ebon Hawk and Mitra going into the stars that it was a really really good setup for um, Knights of the Old Republic 3 where Mitra ends up going to look for Revan um, in the Sith Empire and it would be presented in with the light side and dark side alignment of course where the light side option would be to find Revan um, save him and then ultimately convince the Empire that the new Jedi Order has been rebuilt so they ha he has to build up his strength and not attack ultimately saving the Republic for now. Um, the dark side option would be for Revan and Mitra to go to the Emperor and convince him to attack the Republic because they're so weak um, and the Jedi Order but has been rebuilt but um, it is still really fragile and new. Um, this would of course um, be contingent on the idea that uh, Mitra goes to, for example, Dantooine to talk to the Disciple about and the new Jedi Order to convince him to join her on the quest. Um, going to get possibly Carthonassi um, or um, at least Beodor for the tech support, maybe even T3M4 because he's been in the game. Um, but one of those things where um, um, it where she basically essentially she takes all the key people from the games. Um, I guess T3M4 and HK47 would return as the droids. Bastel would of course have to go because of her relationship with Revan. So this would be the main team. Um, they could find somebody new in the Sith Empire if we're supposed to go off their general lore from Star Wars The Old Republic, but my familiarity with that is a little on the low side, but in general this party would be good with Bastila, Disciple, Beodor, T3M4, and HK47. Um, and then I guess pick up a couple of new people because they would need allies in the, Empire, in the Sith Empire, or they pick people up because um, she's inquiring about Revan and we have the Revan Thing is the Revenkist or the basically the followers of Revan in the Sith Empire who want to save him and we meet their leader or whoever Revan had found as the um, guide in the Sith Empire ultimately helps out and joins the party. But that's kind of hoping that they do still make a Knights of the Old Republic 3 after all this time and that's kind of just my spitballing idea of what they could do as far as a new Knights of the Old Republic game to round out the trilogy and round out the story of Revan and Mitra Surak. So that's all there is for that. So with that, we'll jump into my review for this week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right. So for today's final segment, I am now actually going to be able to review or provide my public review for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, if you're a patron, then I did release a hot take review over the weekend after I had watched the film. Um, just because I wanted to get some initial thoughts out, I was kind of miffed about people who had been talking in the theater for the um, entirety of the film, uh, which was kind of annoying and took away from the experience. Luckily, I was able to watch along for most of it, and I do want to rewatch the film when it's available for streaming, just so I can explain. Watch it and enjoy it for what it is. Uh, at least keep the closed captioning on and uh, get the text that way. But overall, the film was a very—it's a there was a dichotomy going on in my opinion as far as the film goes. Just because it was supposed to release, or I think around the time of WandaVision, either slightly before or slightly after, but then also before before Spider-Man: um, No Way Home. So. When you watch the film, you kind of think that there's information missing, there's um, something going on that doesn't quite make sense, and then you realize that supposedly there's like 30 to 40 minutes of content that was cut from the film. So for me, it felt like, now that I've had some time to think about it, was that it feels like there was some information that was missing as far as the um, Illuminati and the TVA um, relationship as far as um, that information goes on, the information um, as far as why Doctor Strange is not trusted in the in various other universes. Um, they presented some information about that, but it doesn't feel like there was all information or, or it feels like there was more side conversations that needed to be done, especially between like the Illuminati and the Rachel McAdams character or um, Mordok or Mordok, Morbius, I forget the guy's name in the alternate reality who was a Sorcerer Supreme. But it generally just felt like there was some conversations that were missing to transition better between some of that stuff. Um, because in general, it did feel like um, there should have been... Um, or it just felt like when they presented the film, there was a lot of fights, one singular fight sequences after another. Um, I definitely was able to get into the whole thing in the beginning when Strange went to visit Wanda about the um dark book and then apparently there's a whole thing with the good book on the flip side to stop her and then the whole thing with um jumping through the multiverse and then having a that girl um america be the physical embodiment of that and all of that was really good but once we get into the actual bulk of the film in the second half it just felt like there was a lot of stuff going on which was fine but it was also feeling like there should have been 
some other conversations on the background to hash out why a lot of it matters. So while the film itself was really good and I want to give it a grade of about a 90% or more, it does also feel like there should have been more information presented, maybe even like 5 or 10 minutes worth, not necessarily 30 to 40 minutes worth, but it just feels like there should have been more information and then like the thing with the octopus while it kind of makes sense for what it was it kind of felt like it was too early so that's just fine that's why it kind of feels like to me that there should have been more there were more interstitial scenes that needed to be included but they took them out because probably they couldn't get it filmed and of course the pandemic and all that but if they had they were given you know another couple of months and they were able to add those films in or those scenes into the film that it would have made it more complete so for me i think i'm gonna have to give it another rewatch just to see if there's something that i missed in the watching or some nuances or nuanced scenes and conversations but um for me it just it felt about as confusing as Doctor Strange in the film that he wasn't quite sure why he was being hated for using the book to save people or because every other version of him in the multiverse is an egotistical doctor whereas this one is different so having America vouch for him made all that difference so I don't know that like it feels like just on some hand they were resolving most of it but then on the flip side there was stuff missing so for me that's why I want to say that in general it was a good film. I enjoyed the traveling through that multiverse. Um, Wanda working in general secrecy, especially since um, um, Strange was getting blamed for using the book and all of that. And then the whole thing that she was using it all along and the peaceful version of her was essentially the front for making people believe that and all of that just shows how strong she actually is so good stuff um on the flip side though i did find a lot of the um killings very brutal so especially with like professor x's um neck twisting scene um someone i think it was the one of the doctor Stranges. i think the gray evil one from the final um multiverse planet getting impaled on the spikes and all of that um it was very brutal on the levels of a mortal combat level brutality or fatality so all of that was interesting but it was nice to have professor x and the acknowledgement of mutants i liked the little nod to his um, hovercraft from the x-men animated series and then the vibrations of the air when he's easy is telepathy um it was nice to see mr fantastic of the fantastic four um black bolt played by anson mount was good um his was probably his death was probably the most violent um by lobotomizing himself i guess when he speaks but his mouth is closed which was also the weirdest animation which felt like they brought the mouth sealing scene from the first matrix from 99 into this film so i thought that was i that just made me laugh a little bit more than it probably should have but all of those little things made the movie that much more enjoyable which is why i do want to rewatch it but that's why i also want to see the deleted scenes to see if that helps resolve some of the questions and issues i have with the overall plot but i do recommend um definitely giving it a watch um i might want to see like when i rewatch this film to see how see if it works better by watching it before i rewatch spider-man no way home so that's actually going to be my next um 
uh, ultimately that's going to be a plan to of uh, for a rewatch to see how the Doctor Strange 2 works better if it works better before Spider-Man No Way Home to see if that makes the story fit a little bit better and make Spider-Man No Way Home that much better and explain Doctor Strange's powers a little bit better. So that's all there is for this particular review. So if you have any and episode for that matter, so if you have any questions, comments, feedback, or anything like that, you can comment on this post on Twitter at PatelN01.com. If you're a patron, you can comment on the post at patreon.com slash PatelN01. So and of course, you, by being a patron, you get things like bonus content on select episodes and ad-free experience, uh, bonus early access to content like the Doctor Strange review um, as soon as it's available. So that's all at patreon.com slash PatelN01. Um, and I think I might have said it already, but the website is headphonesneal.reviews for past episodes with all subscription links and various subscription options and all of that good stuff. But thanks for tuning into this episode and being a subscriber.